Spirit of God, would you speak to us in our situations, in our unique position, our unique way of looking at the world? Would you challenge it? Would you help us to see things differently? May we be humbled by our generous and wonderful position within your family and all the goodness that you have for us, which spans beyond the time frame we can even begin to fathom. May we never cease to reflect on the unfathomable riches you have for us in Christ Jesus, spanning throughout eternity. Would you be with us today, speak to us, and fill us with the awe and the wonder of your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, today... Is, is our second week of our new series, um, Christian Lives Matter. Welcome to City Hill. We are all about lighting up our world so that people far from God can find life in Christ. So everything we do is about that. That is our mission. And over the coming weeks, we're going to be elaborating a lot on that. We're going to be looking from, well, not just the coming weeks, our entire existence, <laughs> we'll be looking at that. That's the mission that will never change. The vision will change of what we're gonna tangibly achieve over certain periods of time. And we're gonna be looking and elaborating at our values, which will appear along this wonderful shelf over the coming weeks as well, which is gonna permeate everything that we do. So that's who we are. Now this series and today we are looking at kind of persecution and there's so there's so much so over the, these coming weeks we're going to look at things at different layers so today if you will take a look at Acts um, chapter 6 and we're pretty much going to read through this so we're going to flow through the narrative now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number a complaint about the Hellenists Greeks arose against the Hebrews because of their widows and were being neglected in the daily distribution and the 12 uh, summoned the full number of the disciples and said it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve um, these uh, serve these tables therefore brothers pick out from you seven men of good repute full of the spirit and of wisdom whom we will appoint to this duty but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word and they said this pleased the whole gathering and they chose Stephen a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. And then it goes on to mention a few other names. And we're going to follow Stephen's story. So as we move on down to verse 8, and Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and the signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue, synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, um, and of the Alexandrians, and those of um, Sicilica and Asia rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit which he was, with which he was speaking. And they secretly instigated men who said, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. They set up false witnesses who said, this man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face 
was like the face of an angel. And the high priest said, Are these things so? And Stephen said, Brothers and fathers, hear me. And this, we're going to go through Stephen's speech, and we're going to get to the core um, situation at the end of this chapter. Um, but this lays the foundation, I guess, for our series in a sense. And the high priest said, Are these things so? Stephen said, Brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham before he lived in Haran, and he said to him, Go out from your land and from your kindred and go to the land that I will show you. And when he went out to the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran, and after his father died, God removed him from there to the, into this land in which you are now living. Yet he gave him no inheritance in it, not even a foot's length, but promised to give it to him as a possession and to his offspring after him, though he had no child. And God spoke to this effect that his offspring would be um, travelers in the land belonging to others and who would enslave them and afflict them for 400 years. But I will judge the nation that they, that they serve, said God. And after that, they shall come out and worship me in this place. And he gave him a covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day. And Isaac became the father of Jacob and Jacob of the 12 patriarchs. And the patriarchs, jealous of Joseph, sold him into Egypt. But God was with him and rescued him out of the afflictions and gave him favor and wisdom before Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who made him ruler over Egypt and over his household. Now there came a famine through all of Egypt and Canaan and great affliction and the fathers could find no food and our fathers could find no food. But when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent out our fathers on their first visit. And on the second visit, Joseph made himself known to the brothers and Joseph's family became known to the Pharaoh. And Joseph sent and summoned Jacob his father and all his kindred, 75 persons in all. And Jacob went down to Egypt and he died and our fathers and they were carried back um, to Shechem and laid in the tomb. Abraham brought for a sum of silver, had brought for a sum of silver from the sons of Hamor and Shechem. But as the time of the promise drew near, which God had granted to Abraham, the people increased and multiplied in Egypt until there arose in Egypt another king who did not know Joseph. He dealt shrewdly with our race and forced our fathers to expose their infants so that they would um, not be kept alive. At this time, Moses was born and he was beautiful in God's sight and he was brought up for three months in his father's house. And when he was... um, Exposed, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and brought him up as their own son. And Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in his words and his deeds. When he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers and the children of Israel. And seeing one of them being wronged, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. He supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they did not understand. And on the following day, it appeared to them, he appeared to them as they were quarreling and tried to reconcile them, saying, Men, your brothers, why do you wrong each other? But the man who was wronging his neighbor um, thrust him aside, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? And the retort, Moses fled, at the retort, Moses fled and became an exile in the land of Midian, where he became the father of two sons. Now, when 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai, in the flame of the fire, in the bush. When Moses saw it, he was amazed 
at the sight, and he drew near to look, and he came, and there came the voice of the Lord. I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses trembled and did not dare look. Then the Lord said to him, Take off the sandals of your feet, for the place where you're standing is holy ground. I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard of their groaning, and I have come down to deliver them. And now I co- and now come, and I will send you to Egypt. This Moses, whom you rejected, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge? This man... God sent as both ruler and redeemer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. This man led them out, performing wonders and signs in Egypt and at the Red Sea and in the wilderness for 40 years. This is the Moses who said to the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. This is the one who was in the congregation in the wilderness and the angel who spoke to him. Uh, one is probably who spoke to him at Mount Sinai and with our fathers. He received living oracles to give us. Our fathers refused to obey him, but thrust him aside. And in their hearts they turned to Egypt, saying, Aaron, make for us gods who will go before us. And as Moses, um, for this Moses who led us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And they made a calf in those days and offered a sacrifice to the idol and were rejoicing in the works of their hands. But God turned away and gave them over to worship to the host of heaven, as it is written in the book of the prophets. Did you bring to me the slain beasts and sacrifices during the 40 years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? You took up the tent of Moloch and the star of your God. No idea who that is. Rephan, that's a new one. I'm totally going to have to Google that later. Uh, The images that you made to worship. And I will send you into exile beyond Babylon. Our fathers had sent, had the tent of witness in the wilderness, just as he who spoke to Moses directed him to make it in accordance to the pattern he had seen. Our fathers in turn brought it in with Joshua, then dispossessed the nations that God drove out before our fathers, so that it was until the days of David, who found favor in the sight of the Lord, asked to find a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built a house for him. Yet the Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands, as the prophet said. Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what kind of place of rest, of my rest? Did not my hand make all things? You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy, uh, Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your father not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth. Jeez. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus standing at the right hand side of God. And he said, Behold, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out of a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he cried out aloud. Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. 
and falling to his knees, cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul approved of his execution. And Saul approved of his execution. In the chapters, um, after that we have chapter 8 and then chapter 9. And in chapter 9 we have the conversion of Saul. Straight after this. So the book of Acts starts off um, earlier on with kind of the events with um, Pentecost. um, A few other stories just leading up to Saul's conversion. And then from Saul's conversion it just follows the rest of the way. It just follows his story as, as the Apostle Paul. Um, I wanted to start by looking at this particular passage because we see Stephen here martyred for what he believe in. He believes in. What I love about the way that Stephen is martyred is actually you can really see that he's a follower of Jesus Christ. And the reason you can see it is because actually he imitates Jesus's death in the fact that when Jesus is on the cross, his chief concern is not what is necessarily happening to him in that instance, but it's in the forgiveness of those who are doing this to him with no understanding of what they're doing. And Stephen in this moment isn't the son of God, but a man who is following Jesus, who's had revelation of who he is, who has taken the time to communicate to them the means of this gospel and this message within their own context and their own means of understanding. I love how detailed it is Um, the account of what happens because what's being said is actually behind closed doors away from everyone else it's amongst the Jewish elite and Saul being one of those who was flying up the ranks in his profession is privy to this conversation and I just love how this is kind of etched in in his memory that he is able to recount that when Luke is putting together acts um All we see of Stephen is he's amongst a conversation about a tiny dispute. It's not worthy of really mentioning, is it? Um, Like, oh, people are moaning about some widows not being treated the same as others. It's not like, oh man, geez, well, we can't forget that in the New Testament. You know what I mean? Like this kind of, okay, it's an issue of inequality, but it's hardly groundbreaking. It's hardly like, oh wow, flip me. Um, And he's there and you see he's diligent and he's full of the Holy Spirit. And yet in this account, he's been doing his bit and it's because of this issue where he's no longer tending to these little matters that um, they're not trivial, they actually matter, but they go, you know what, we need to delegate some of this stuff, give it to someone else so we can preach the gospel. He gets out preaching the gospel because he's delegated this and it gets him dragged before the people who actually are going to have him killed. And his whole way in caring for them is he keeps his eyes in, in Paul's account, um, he looks at it and Paul, Saul, in his first engagement, obviously he has both names, so I'm going to mix them up at times. Um, his whole thing is he, he, he sees a man who, who is transfixed beyond that which he sees. A man who looks beyond the mere illusion of what is here as being final. But a man who looks beyond what's here, looks beyond into the eternal, and from the eternal then speaks with confidence, knowing that it will mean his imminent doom, and knowing that it will mean a present issue of suffering. For you and I, when we face these situations, we tend to have our focus on the immediate. And so when we encounter these situations, 
we're a bit overwhelmed by the, the, the sheer impending nature of the situation. But for Stephen, his eyes are just fixed beyond. His eyes are fixed beyond. And not only does he, he hear the words of what he's heard and what he's known to be taught and, and preached upon, but he sees as if real with his own eyes, Jesus sitting at the right hand of the Father. And then from this place of trusting completely in Jesus, he is able to preach to them of their own forefathers, of their own narrative, and to remind them that actually Moses said this guy was coming and we've seen him to be among us. And at this point, as they, he starts to speak about the glory of God, they don't want to hear it. They gnash their teeth and they start shouting and they rush him and they're closing their ears. They don't want to hear another word. And even as, as they're killing this man and as they're laying the cloaks at the feet of Saul, so Saul is standing there as this kind of like, instigator this man in charge this man of authority he's realizing this is placed at his feet and these words of Saul these words of Stephen are etched in Saul's ears they're etched in his memory and so why is this such a a landmark moment why is this death when when Saul had so many killed Saul saw a man who died gloriously He saw a man who died well, who lived well, who faced his suffering well, and who died and ended his life begging for their forgiveness. And secondly, submitting himself and releasing his life to Jesus. This ends up having a profound effect on Saul and plays a huge part in his conversion. Saul ends up having his own experience with Jesus and submitting and changing his life. Saul is not unique in this. He's not unique in any way. Um, this book here is um, The History of the Church by Osebus. Um, he literally sums up the first 300 years of the church. And it's just, it's just full of a lot of persecution. Um, different levels and different times. Um, but overall, this wasn't unique. Um, to the point where uh, one founding father, Tertullian, said that the blood of martyrs um, is the seed for the church. He said it's the seed for the church. He also went on to say that, you know, if the Nile should overflow, well, there's only one way to solve that, he said in his own words. Feed Christians to the lions. He said it doesn't matter whether the banks overflow or if they're down. It's Christians' fault and they will be fed to the lions for it. There was a great persecution um, that took place all the way from the beginning, which we read here, which is at the hands of the Jews, but actually was passed on to the Romans. And at different times it went up and it went down and it changed with the leadership. Whoever was emperor at the time, one minute it was, ah, yeah, it's okay to be a Christian. The next emperor would come or the next ruler as you had the, um, the tetriarchs who shared power. Some of them would be like, they would all agree that Christians should be persecuted, but some of them would be like, I'm not really going to enforce, one of them would be, I'm not really going to enforce this. The other three would be like, I'm on this, let's do this. And all sorts of things would happen. Now, in AD 303, um, became what is known as the Great Persecution. Um, Christians who were holding public office were put out of office. So if a Christian held a significant office, uh, they, were, they were deemed as incapable of holding that office. Now, I'm not going to in any way, shape or form compare that to what's happening currently um, because it's not the case. Theresa May 
um, daughter of a reverend, prime minister of this country, has strong Christian values. I think that's fantastic. But I, I, I was really perturbed that last year, as um, the over the last year, as the discussion about whether it was a, Christ a genocide of Christians or not a genocide, um, and as the Guardian constantly reported. Uh, about the ethnicity of a group that were being killed, but denying the religious reasons for execution. We're very happy to lay in uh, to Dan Walker, who had gone from being a football pundit and uh, on BBC Sport interviewing footballers and football focus. Um, he got offered a more mainstream kind of uh, general news desk kind of reporting role. And when that happened, uh, there was a writer that suggested that because of his Christian beliefs, he shouldn't be uh, presenting news in any way. They, sh they need to be able to distinguish between fact and fiction. And that for me was, was unbelievably, uh, absolutely a shocking statement. And um, I don't think any Christian should be incapable of reading off a newsreel and interviewing someone. I think that's unbelievably patronizing and I believe for a newspaper like The Guardian, I, I, th I feel m very strongly misguided as it's meant to be quite a liberal paper and that's quite a, a strong anti-Christian kind of view. One which just, for me, beggars belief why you wouldn't be able to, to read the news. Now, Christians were at this time removed from public office, um, those that were in it. All accusations against Christians were to be welcome and received. So regardless of what the issue was, that was it. Brilliant, what's the solution? Throw them to the lines. Christians were to be tortured for their faith, sometimes mauled by animals and sometimes killed or tortured by um, various different people. All Christians were removed from the army so that to solidify its position in being able to enforce this. The scriptures were to be confiscated and burned immediately. Church buildings were to be destroyed. A Christian's civil rights were to be forcefully denied. And presidents, uh, bishops and leaders of the churches were to be arrested in order to, to sacrifice to the gods. And actually one of the key things that was enforced was a sense where everyone had to, across the whole um, Rome, Roman Empire, make certain sacrifices to the religious gods of, of the time that were recognised. And any Christian that wouldn't partake in that, um, another reason really to kill them. And so when we look at this period of time, we see a lot of this happening. But actually, when we read about what the church founding fathers speak about this time, they speak about it very differently. Sebus, um, at one hand, points to a particular Roman leader who he doesn't name, but suggests towards who being to blame for this. He also, on the other hand, blames Christians. He says for their own divisiveness, he feels that the, the judgment of God has, has come upon them. But ultimately, what seems to be the strongest case in amongst all of this is that actually as he prunes back, he talks about it being pruning of the church and actually it flourishing and going from strength to strength to strength. And actually often what we want to do is make things comfortable. And um, Eusebius says that actually in that comfort, Christians became slack and became misguided and spent their time disagreeing over doctrine with one another. And actually, if there's one thing I could say about our current generation um, when it comes to Christians, I see so many guys committing so much time to debating and discussing futile things. 
And um, I look at it and I go, <laughs> I was reading a business and I was thinking, oh, I can totally dig that. We waste this opportunity of freedom to just disagree with one another and be divisive. And I think we have such freedom. And if there's one thing that this has taught me to beg of our time, it is that we should really maximize it. And actually, when I see Christians of different viewpoints to me, I'm just like, fantastic, great, fantastic, go for it, mate, love it. Brilliant, that's you, this is me. Let's love one another, let's move together, let's fellowship. But ultimately, let's realize the time that we live in and let's capitalize on that by sharing our faith and actually not moaning about whatever persecution we receive. Now, in the UK, we don't receive much persecution. What we receive probably comes as belittlement. But I've noticed that we tend to shy away from the impending stoning of words. Um, So as opposed to Stephen, who stands his ground, sees the people who are speaking against him, making clear case against him an accusation, whether it's right or wrong, he by the power of the Spirit, stands his ground, declares what he believes, and makes it known. I think we, far too often, even with just the ridicule of mere words, none of us facing lions, none of us getting thrown in the the arena with um, gladiators, don't know why that was so hard to say, none of us risking our lives in that way, shy back from, from speaking, just knowing that intellectual ridicule will come like it has done with Dan Walker, and that shuts us up. And actually, we need to be bold like, like Stephen and being like, you know what? This is my faith. This is what I believe. And I'm going to speak out about it. And you don't have to receive it. Don't receive it. You want to stone me for it? Stone me for it. I'm not going to cuss you out for how you treat me. I'm going to treat you with grace. And even when you wrong me, I'm going to forgive you and you're wronging of me. Like, you know what? Cool. I for- and even in, in conversation, you know what? When people mug you off, well, cool. I forgive you for how you're mugging me off. Highlight. It highlights to them straight away. One the gospel of Jesus is real because we're willing to forgive um, instead of getting agitated and angry and wanting to aggress and, and um, retort with other mocking statements. But also it shows us to be different. It stands us apart. And I feel that in this present time, though none of us in the UK right now are facing persecution and in the coming weeks we will look at specific countries and places and the way that they're standing up to persecution, the way that they're representing just like Stephen represented, I want to encourage us to represent where we represent right here right now with forgiving gracious speech but also putting forward boldly our case of what we believe because if we do that we send out the statement that what we believe is worth it. No one will ever believe your faith is genuine if you're not willing to take ridicule. Because for Saul, he has such a detailed remembrance of that moment and that conversation, being able to list out that argument in that way. And he's able to highlight at the end. And he says it was laid at his feet and that he was happy with it. And then later we see that he who persecuted the faith becomes the advocate for it. We don't know what our conversation will do for someone else who may be like Saul. Who knows what atheist or agnostic or secularist or humanist we may meet that we have conversation with that has that moment. Stephen died. He didn't realize what profound effect he had on the destiny of Saul becoming Paul. He doesn't know it, but we celebrate it. We don't know what our conversations are going to mean for someone else. All I know is if we are not courageous enough to have them, 
we could miss out on some souls becoming Pauls in our generation. I want to encourage us to be bold this week. Father God, would you empower us by your spirit? We all know and have friends and acquaintances who take pleasure in mocking and ridiculing us for our faith. We know that we're not going to have stones thrown at us in the workplace or in our friendship circles, but we do realise that it can become really unpleasant and we can often feel embarrassed and belittled for standing for what we believe in. Father, may you give us the words and embolden us by your spirit, just as you did for Stephen. For who knows who may hear our conversation and remember it. Who knows who in years to come may be documenting their faith and how our conversation played a significant role in the impact of the work that you brought to fruition in their lives. Be with us this week, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.